Are we on? Am I on? I'm okay. Thank you. Well, I'm excited for this morning. Um, as we can keep going through the children of Israel's journey from slavery in Egypt all the way to the promised land. And we pick up today in Joshua chapter 6. Um, us pastors, were all, we were all together for supper last night, and so it was really helpful for me. We sat around, we talked through this passage for quite a while, because when I read this story, this is the story of the Battle of Jericho. We sang about it this morning. There is so much, and I can, I can get so lost in the weeds and the little details of things. And we talked about it. I was like, so how do we boil this down? How do I boil this down to one thing? In, in this whole story of Jericho, the battle at Ai, how do I boil it down to one thing? What's the lesson that I want us to remember that I believe that I hope this is what God wants us to remember as we look at the battle belongs to the Lord. I guess another title you could give it is Let Go and Let God. That's hard to do. So here's kind of what I want to keep in the forefront of our minds as we go through the message today, and that it's this. Victory in our battles is dependent on God's power and our faithfulness in obediently following his plan. And we're going to see that his plan doesn't always make sense. His plan isn't dependent on the power, the strength, whatever that I can bring to the table. But it's on, dependent on my ability to just choose to trust him. Humbly trust him to be the one who provides for this morning or for, for us in the battles that we face. I want to I point us back and remind you of something that Marcus said two weeks ago when leading right up to this, this point. In the middle of chapter 5, and again, I'm using the same thing Marcus did, the Immerse series, so there's no chapter versus divisions. And, oh, it's so good to read it in this because it just reads like a story and, and things come, come through differently. But Marcus pointed this out, and I just want to remind you of it. After they had crossed the Jordan River, they'd set up the, the pillars, the altar, the, the stones that Marcus talked about. He says, Today I have rolled away the shame of your slavery in Egypt. That is such a beautiful love. Because they, up, until, up until this point, they have lived with still kind of that mindset. And God's telling them, you are now on the brink of the land that I have promised you. This is what I have promised you. This is what this whole journey has been. And now you're ready to go in and to take this land. And so they're, God's just making this big shift, big shift in their lives. And then I want to start today, I want to start in, in chapter, the end of chapter 5. I don't think Marcus touched on this. The, it's, I think in your Bibles it'll be verses 13 to 15. But I want to start there because it all ties, I think it ties right into the battle of Jericho, the, um, the message to Joshua. Um, so that's where we're going to start. I want, let, me, let me just read that piece in the first couple verses of chapter 6 here this, to start off. It says, when Joshua was near the town of Jericho, now I don't know why he was near the town. They were camping close to, to Jericho. But he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a sword in his hand. 
So you're preparing for a battle, and all of a sudden there's this guy standing in front of you with a sword in his hand. It's drawn. It's not sheathed. He has this thing out. And Joshua went up to him, and he demanded, Are you a friend or a foe? Are you for us or are you for them? Because Joshua is ready to fight. And he replied, Neither. I am the commander of the Lord's army. At this, Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence. I am at your command, Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did as he was told. And then it goes on, and I believe it's this commander that actually gives him the instructions to go into the battle. But why is this this piece so important to what's coming ahead or coming next? <clears throat> this is uh, this is similar, I would say, to Moses's burning bush moment. This is a huge moment in Joshua's life. Joshua is about to lead a band of warriors. I, the numbers can vary, but the the census they took in in the book of Numbers would say up to at, up to six hundred thousand warriors that he's leading into battle. So he's leading a massive amount of warriors who are strong. They're chiseled, desert-grown men. They're ready to go fight. And he's about to take them into a battle with a strategy that just blows your mind. It's like, what's the point? They're ready to fight. And Joshua, I believe, he needs to hear this message from God that you are not the one who's fighting this battle. This is my battle. I'm fighting this battle. What you need to do is follow my instructions, no matter how obscure, how random, how weird they might seem. And so I wonder, how many, how many of you have ever, how many of us, I, I've done this, have, have sensed the Spirit telling you to do something weird, or something just kind of odd, and you chicken out? Do you ever do that? I do it. I've done it. And it's like, oh, later, it's like, why didn't I... I had this opportunity to speak to some, or whatever it may be. God's methods may seem so random. They may seem so weird at times. But it's about trusting Him. It's not about so much about what I bring to the battle. It's about what God wants to do in it. And I had to think, there, there's so many examples. I, we heard so many stories that would fit right into this when we were in our trip to Nicaragua, there was a story after story where it didn't make any sense, and yet God just showed up and just miraculously did things. So this isn't necessarily a a battle to fight, but a story of something that seemed, in my mind, it seemed random, and yet I saw God use it powerfully a year later. So I don't, I'm not sure, it was probably a year and a half or maybe close to two years ago, the youth had gotten together and they, Ed started teaching them line dancing. And I remember I saw that and they were like, they, our, our girls, our kids came home, they were like, oh, this was so much fun. Sorry, Ed, I'm putting you on the, on the spot here. But it was just kind of loosely thrown out to Ed, but he should do this for, for some people, whoever wants to. Well, next thing you know, last winter... He started teaching whoever wanted to come, line dancing. What's God got to do with line dancing? It's like, that's that, I mean, it's just like, well, we get together, we have fun, we had, it was a good time. But when we were in Nicaragua, 
the one evening, just out of the blue, the girls got up and they started to do one of the line dances. Just there was nothing planned. They just just for kicks. We were sitting around after supper. They started line dancing. The next morning, in her life because of her story. So I'm not going to tell you the story. If you want to know why it impacted her, talk to one of the youth. They can tell you why it made such a big impact, such a simple thing. And I was like, okay, so God had this in mind. I'm, I'm convinced of this. I think God had this in mind way back when, when Ed, Ed sent out this message, hey, who, would anybody interested in learning how to line dance? And so they, some people learn how to do some line dances. And almost a year later, we end up in Nicaragua, and a simple line dance had such a huge impact in a person's life. And when they got up to line dance there, they had no idea that they were doing anything. So, I mean, it's just, it's just those little things, big things, whatever it is, God uses random things in our lives that may not make any sense to us in the moment, and yet those are the things that God uses to impact people in very deep and big and significant ways. <clears throat> so that's a little bit of a bunny trail, but I was like, that is such a powerful example of how God, how God moves in our lives and how He uses seemingly random things um, in our lives. But Joshua is about, so back to the story here now, he's about to take these people, these battle-ready warriors, into the promised land And Israel is to learn how to submit to God's leading no matter how odd it may seem. And we're no different. We're no different. We have to learn how to trust God's leading no matter how odd it may seem. And and what I find in my life is often when there's big decisions in front of me, um, Take for if there's if there's financial things in your personal life or financial things in your business, the easiest thing for us to do is think. Okay, logically, we can figure out how to get through this. We make a decision, and we decide. Okay, this is the way we're going to go, and then after that, we say, Okay, God, would you come bless this decision? It's just like us as a leadership team as a church. I thought we can do the same thing here, and this is something that I want to keep in the forefront of my mind and for all of us. As, even as a leadership team, we can make decisions about church life that just make sense, they're logical, okay, so this is what we do. And then, okay, God, would you bless this decision? What if we would flip that around and at the very start say, okay, God, lead us in this. This is what makes logical sense, but maybe that's not where you want us to go. So there's just this massive shift, this massive difference in how we think and how we approach the battles or the things that were faced, the obstacles that were faced in, in life. So how were, how was Joshua to lead these warriors into battle? He pushes out their logical, self-sufficient means, and through this, I think, is the path to victory. And notice this. I'm going to pick up the story in verse 1. So now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. Remember when Rahab had gone or had hidden the spies, they had already been shut up then because 
everyone knew what God had been doing with them. And by the way, this is only like five miles from the Jordan River where they crossed. That's like here to Behold. It's about, about that distance from where Jericho is to where the Israelites, this whole vast army of people, crossed the Jordan River. So that they're scared. They know what's coming. No one is allowed to go in or out. But the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho. And note that. It's, I have given you Jericho. I have won this battle. You are not doing the, fighting this battle. I'm the one who's given you Jericho. It's king and it's strong warriors. You, you're fighting men. And then he gives them the orders of how they're to march around the city. So let me, let me if I can, try to paint a little bit of a picture of Jericho. Because when, when, when I began studying this, I began to see some things a little bit differently. The city of Jericho, glorified town. So the, it's a fortress that is built right, right on the edge of, on the eastern edge of the Canaanite, the Canaanite region. And it's built there as a fortress to defend against any attacks from the east. And that's where the children of Israel were coming from. But it's this fortress that's built... And if, and if you can picture, it's built up on top of a mound, right at the base of the ascent that goes up into the mountains, and then Ai sits at the top of the mountain. And so if you can take those two cities, you can control that mountain region, then there's a ridge that basically divides the land north to south. If you can control that ridge, you've essentially divided the forces, the strength, the power of the land into two, and it makes the conquering so much easier. So it makes so much sense that strategy, why then you need to take Jericho, and then you need to take Ai, and those are the first two battles that we read about. And then you can take the land from there. But Jericho, the inside, two walls surrounded, like it had an inner wall and an outer wall. The inner wall is basically covered about six acres. So if you can think in acres, six acres, it's not very big. And then the outer wall, maybe eight to ten acres. And this is all on a slope. So you had walls that were anywhere from 10 to 20 feet high. And that they, so this, let's say the inner circle has a wall that's 10 to 20 feet high. Then you had this slope down to the outer wall, another wall 20 feet high. So you had this, it was a double, double fortress. And in between those walls, there were people dwelling. Like all the, and for sure at this time, all the people from the surrounding villages had gathered inside the city as protection against the Israelite army. And so you've got, you've got this 10-acre city. It's heavily fortified. And this is the first battle that the children of Israel are going to fight. And I used to think, I used to think that God told them to fight the battle this way because this city was so heavily fortified there was no way they could ever win this battle on their own. And I started thinking about this. The population of Jericho was very small. Ai was like 12,000. Jericho, by most, I didn't read anyone anywhere that it was bigger than that. Two to 3,000 is what I read in most places. It was probably trained, trained warriors. It was a heavily fortified city. But the children of Israel are coming across the Jordan with 600,000 warriors. And if you're these warriors, you're thinking, all right, there it is, let's go get it. You can get it. They can, they can take this city. They've got the forces. They've got the manpower. They can lay siege to this city. 
and they can build ramps up into that, they can take it. I'm, I'm, I'm convinced. This is a battle that they can go fight and they can win. And so they're, they come across this Jordan. They are ready to go. They're ready to go into battle and they're ready to fight. And Joshua calls them all together and this is what he tells them. So Joshua called the, together the priests and he said, Take up the Ark of the Lord's Covenant and assign seven priests to walk in front of it, each carrying a ram's horn. Then he gave orders to the people, March around the town and the armed men will lead the way in front of the Ark of the Lord. After Joshua spoke to the people, the seven priests with the seven ram's horns started marching in the presence of the Lord, blowing the horns as they marched. The Ark of the Lord's Covenant followed them behind. Some of the men, armed men marched in front of the priests with the horns and some behind the Ark, with the priests continually blowing the horns. Now catch this. Do not shout. Do not even talk, Joshua commanded. Not a single word from any one of you until I tell you to shout. Then shout. So the Ark of the Lord was carried around the town once that day, and then every one returned to spend the night in the camp. Joshua got up early the next morning. The priests again carried the ark of the Lord. <coughs> the seven priests with the ram's horns marched in front of the ark of the Lord, blowing their horns again. Again, the armed men marched in front of the priests with the horns and behind the ark of the Lord. All this time, the priests were blowing their horns. <coughs> On the second day, they marched around the town once and returned to the camp. They followed this pattern for six days. I wonder what was going through those warriors' minds about day four and day five and day six. They have the manpower to go and take this city. And it began to dawn on me like why it was so critical for Joshua to meet the commander of the Lord's army before he went and led these warriors in this crazy battle plan. A strategy that seemed like no strategy at all. And I'm, I'm, I'm struck by, by two things, and I'll just point them out to you. The one was the dead silence. <clears throat> he said, don't even say a word. So you've got an army marching around the city, probably about maybe a two-mile march around the city. The seven priests are blowing horns, and the, the trumpets that they're blowing were not musical instruments but they were a call to something. The trumpets were used to signal feasts, um, signal days of worship, signal the Passover when the Passover lamb was killed, the trumpet would be blown. So they, and, the, and they were also used to signal a charge into battle. So I think the, the priests blowing their trumpet the whole time that they're walking around is a call for the people to worship. And the silence is for them to be quiet and listen to God. And it's in that, when we, we're quiet and we worship, that we begin to hear God. And we begin, maybe we don't understand, but we learn to trust His strategy that seems like a whacked-up strategy. But God is powerfully moving in that. So they march around for seven days, for six days. Then on the seventh day, the Israelites got up at dawn. They marched around the town as they'd done before. But this time, they went around the town seven times. The seventh time around, the priests sounded the long blast of their, on their horns. 
Joshua commanded the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the town. Jericho and everything in it must be completely destroyed as an offering to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and others in her house will be spared, for she protected the spies. Do not take anything set apart for destruction, or you yourselves will be completely destroyed, and you will bring trouble on the camp of Israel. Everything made from silver, gold, bronze, and iron is sacred for the Lord must be for the Lord and must be brought into his treasury. When the people heard the sound of the ram's horns, they shouted as loud as they could. Suddenly the walls of Jericho collapsed, and the Israelites charged straight into the town and captured it. They charged straight into the town and they captured. The walls simply collapsed. And there's, there's people who will try to tell you it was an earthquake or whatever happened. Whatever. I, I, I don't think it was an earthquake. I think God just simply said it fall down and they fell. Because Rahab's house stood, stayed standing a mile away at Gilgal where the, the whole camp of Israel was. Nothing was touched. But the walls collapsed. And I don't know how they collapsed. But they collapsed and simply and formed a ramp for the people to walk straight into the city. Their def- the defenses of the city were gone, completely destroyed. Um, and then everything in the city is utterly, to be utterly destroyed. And the, the, gold, you saw the gold and stuff is supposed to be kept for God and into his treasury. <clears throat> The weirdest battle plan you can possibly think of, but I think this is, Jericho is the gateway into the promised land, for one, but this also sets a precedence for the people of Israel as they go forward and how they are to fight their battles. They need to recognize that, yes, we have strength, we have power, but God says, look, I've got much more power. My resources outmatch yours no matter what you think yours are. He's got, God has the power to, to tear down, to destroy a whole city simply by going like that. And, and, it, and the victory is won. It's a strategy. This specific strategy is one that is never repeated ever again, but it sets the stage for how the battles are to be fought Victory over the obstacles and the strongholds in our lives are never won. I mean, I'm I'm talking physical and spiritual, but they're never won by our sheer grit and our strength and our power and our human ability. Victory is dependent on God's power and our faithfulness in obediently following God's plan. They had to follow God's strategy, though it seemed so odd for this to actually take place, for this to actually happen, and to walk in obedience to it. So there's a huge thing when God, when God tells us, this is what I want you to do, and this is how I want you to do it, it may not make any sense, but to actually follow through and trust God enough. Obedience to God's plans and strategies, like marching around a wall for seven days, obedience to that shows an incredible amount of trust in God. And when we come to our battles and the obstacles in our lives, that's how we're to fight the battle. And you notice, in, in the bigger picture of the story, 
everything from this city is to be destroyed, but the gold, silver, bronze, iron is to be brought into the treasury of the Lord. So the Israelites are not to keep anything from this city because this is the first battle. God says, I have fought this battle for you. Everything that comes from this is mine. And then the battle at Ai, the next battle that they actually they end up winning, um, they get to keep everything. Everything that they can take from that city is theirs for the taking. To keep reading through the story, because we don't have time to go into it, but the next battle, the very next thing they do is they go fight Ai, which is right at the top of the mountain. Two guys go spy it out, and they come back and they say, we've got this. Send two to 3,000 guys, that's all we need. No, no point in wearing everyone out, hiking up there and fighting the battle. And they come back utterly defeated. So they didn't seek God's direction for how to fight the battle, for one. But they also, there was sin in the camp. And so you have this, this beautiful picture. Beautiful picture. For Achan, it wasn't a beautiful picture. Unreal. Read, read through the story of how they narrowed it down, who, who the one was with sin. I can imagine his palms were sweaty as the, the lots were drawn. But the, when they repented and they said, we have sinned against God, and he brings them back and God tells them how to go up and he gave them a strategy to go fight Ai. And then when they follow God's plan, they had complete and utter victory. They walked away with everything. They had total, total victory. And so the, the point of, <coughs> the bigger point, like I said, of Jericho, of Ai, but specifically Jericho, because that's where we spent most of our time, is God wants to lead each of us. He wanted to do this with Israel, but it's for us as well to a place of humble trust and obedience in God when he asks us to do something that may not make any sense. So how do I approach obstacles or battles in my life? How will you approach obstacles and battles in your life? Because we have them. They're always in front of us. There's always, they may seem big, they may seem small. We have the option in our, in our world here where we're at right now, we have resources like crazy. And most of the battles that we face, many of the battles that we face, we have the resources. We can figure out how to fight this battle and win. We can get through it somehow. Just like the children of Israel, like they could have taken Jericho. But God says, I have a better way. Do we even give God the chance to say, my resources are much better than yours. Let me fight your battle. You don't need to fight all the battles. I will fight the battle for you. So let me, let me close with another story. Um, this one was from, from Abner at the school. And someone had referenced this. I think one thing one of the youth, youth had re- referenced it is when he came down to be administrator at the school, he wanted to start a computer class. Needed 35 or so computers. Um, he started a campaign to raise funds. And he, for, for months, he worked... He sent out messages to all these contacts, all these people that he knew. He lived in Washington State. All these people I knew, lots of money. All these people had all this money. 
He's like, you need $16,000 for these computers for this school. And he worked and worked and worked to, to raise this money. And he said at the end of, I don't know the exact period, I think it was a, a couple months, he said he had a whopping 4000 bucks, And he was so ticked off. He was so mad. He was like, what is wrong with these people? Get with the program. Can't you see there's a need here? You've got all this extra. Why don't you just give? And then he said, and I don't remember all the details of the story. Some of you others could probably say it, tell it better than I am. But what I do remember, somewhere he met a guy who worked for a computer company somewhere. And the long and the short of the story was, they got to talking about these, he needs these computers and he only has this much money for them. He was like, oh, how many do you need? He told him he needs like 35. So, oh, okay, I'll get them for you. And just like that, God provided 35 computers for the computer class. What I'm, my point is, when we're faced with obstacles like that, we have those, we have those things in our, in our daily lives, in our homes, financial things, spiritual things, whatever it is that's in front of the battles that we face. And we pour so much effort into conquering, into overcoming the obstacle. And God says simply, just stop. Worship, be quiet, and let me go to work. So that's my challenge to us is, can we just let God fight the battles for us? That's what he wants to do because he's the one who obviously he gets the glory. We belong to him and his, everything that we do is for his glory and he longs to fight the battles for his children. All right, we'll just stand. We'll close. Tim, worship team. God, thank you so much this morning that you care enough about us to fight the battles for us. But man, we need to learn to trust you to fight them for us because we're so self-sufficient. We've got so much. We have so many resources. We've got so many things that we can turn to to try to accomplish what needs to be accomplished. And we just shut you out. We don't even let you in to try to fight the battles for us. So God, help us to lay down our own, oh, this self-sufficient, I've got to accomplish this, I've got to get this done just to lay that down and let you go to work. Help us to give you that opportunity to show yourself to us, but not just to us, but to everyone around us. Because when you showed up there at Jericho, all the nations around there saw what you did, what the God of Israel did for his people. And they trembled with fear. And as we allow you to fight the battles for us and allow you to show up big in our lives, the world around us will see and the world around us will be drawn to worship the one true God. Thank you for your faithfulness. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.